Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech wiped the floor with UNC 59-7. I couldn't be happier about it. Robbie, give us a cheers. Yeah, rock me like a hurricane, I think, is probably <laughs> the best way to uh, come out here and stealing one from Joe because that was a good pickup. In, in, in listening to that broadcast, I actually didn't catch on to that as quickly as everybody else did. I was so pissed with the announcer. Uh, but in any case, a cheers, I think, is in order to Larry Fedora and his visor. I thought their team <laughs> came out and really gave an A-plus effort. After the hurricane effort or game last year, I know it was called into question whether or not Virginia Tech was that good or we should have won. So I'm glad they came out and made it a tight, close game and really proved that they should have been in it last year if it wasn't for the weather. So cheers to UNC cheat. Cheers. Maybe one of our first fully sarcastic cheers uh, we've ever had. <laughs> because, I thought it was in man, order. UNC did not show up. They were hurting. We knew that going in, but they didn't compete. They've been competing in their games for the most part. It didn't happen in this game. And that's something that I thought might happen. I said they might quit, and it certainly seemed like they did after uh, we got those defensive and special team scores. I did hear this funny thing on Twitter, and we did what the NCAA couldn't do to UNC in banning them from postseason play this year. And I, I couldn't have put it better myself. We imposed the bowl ban uh, that the powerless NCAA couldn't do. And, uh, man, that was just fantastic. Let's do our news and notes before we do our recap, as always. Virginia Tech moved up to 13th in the AP poll, 17th in the S&P Plus, and 13th in Sagarin. We also got a football commit in four-star athlete James Graham from Georgia. He might be a DB, he might be a wideout, but he is a very highly rated recruit on Rivals and ESPN, so I'm I'm pumped about that. Yeah, and it seems like it's been a little while, so I uh, I love picking up recruits, especially mid-season when we're not paying attention to it as much. Our 2018 recruiting class is now 17th on Rivals and 23rd in the 247 composite. So top 25, hopefully if we can pull in some of the big guys we're after, Henry, Dax Hollifield, uh, Artis, you know, that, that'll stay top 20, maybe top 15. We'll just have to wait and see. I also wanted to say thank you to Brian Thomas. He's a listener and he sent me some bourbon this week. Uh, he obviously addressed it to both Robbie and I. It is a ginger-infused bourbon named Virgil Kane, and he's from Charleston, South Carolina, and it's a Charleston, South Carolina bourbon. I actually just took a shot of it when we just started. Very smooth. Had a drink even before we started with it. I got going early tonight. Really, really good. I'm going to make sure next time I see Robbie, we'll, uh, we'll pour some over some some rocks, or maybe you're a neat guy. I'm not sure, but yeah. I got to do a little bit of rocks. Neat. And uh, a gift, I'll drink it anyway. That's, that's <laughs> perfect. All right, let's hop into this game recap. Another slow start for the offense. We failed to score on our first four offensive possessions, but it wasn't a slow start for the defense and the special teams. 
Ricky Walker got a fumble return for a TD in the first quarter. Stroman had the punt return for a TD. And we got our first offensive touchdown after about 20 minutes of play on the pass to Trayvon McMillan. But after those three TDs, you knew this game was over. If it, if it wasn't over on the Stroman return touchdown, that it was going to be our day. Once we had our first offensive touchdown, too, it started to look really good. Then we got the pick six by Reggie Floyd. Great block by Tremaine on that play. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that was that play all just came together so well. And it was it was great to see Floyd do something like that. And, you know, when the names pop up that you don't expect those things from, you know, if Moto, you know, puts it back, then you you're like, oh yeah, you kinda expect it. But seeing Reggie come in and do that was spectacular. I loved it. My boy Eric Kuma got us on the board one last time before the half, made it 35 to nothing. We've been waiting on Kuma to make some big plays. He's starting to do that every week now, and I was happy to see him finally get his touchdown. Third quarter, more of the same. Got a quick TD to Cam, kicked a field goal on the next drive. That was our fourth straight scoring drive after having four drives that didn't score. So we did come back in a big way on the offensive side of the ball. And midway through the third quarter, A.J. Bush was in the game, Coleman Fox was in the game, and it was full mop-up duty. UNC did get a touchdown when it was 52 to nothing, uh, just complete garbage time touchdown, although we did have some starters in the game, but still. And the game ended 59-7. to We got on the board, was it Bush pass to Daniel? Who was that? Denmark. Uh, yeah, it was Denmark. Uh, and that pass was beautiful i gotta say the way he threw that up and the catch was even better but i wasn't really expecting that at the end of the game and then we uh or it wasn't the end but it, it was close yeah that to. was the second to last one okay yeah holston had the last one the one yard run but that pass to denmark and the catch yeah were both great and yeah and then there was the air out that we did on fourth down right at the end of the game oh which, yeah i don't think fedora liked that one. Oh, that's oh and i i was gonna say and not to you know go yeah i guess not to one of my conclusions but fuente obviously hates them their program or he's a very good listener to his fan base and his his i guess his players because Obviously, what happened last year left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And then airing it out on like a 40-yard bomb with your backup quarterback on fourth down at the end of the game, Mm -hmm. nah, coach is not going to like that on the other side. I personally loved it. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Apparently, there's no love lost between these two coaching staffs. People said the handshake at the end of the game was, quote-unquote, icy, uh, and I believe it. It was it was really something else. It was the most points scored in an ACC game uh, in Virginia Tech history and the largest margin of victory in an ACC game in VT's years in the ACC, which at this point has been since 04. So it's been quite a while. To have this be the most points and the largest margin of victory is something else. Uh, we came close last year because we beat – was it 52-10 to 10 against yeah. UVA? I think that's right. Uh, BC was BC 49 was nothing. a huge game. Yeah. Yeah. So we've so, come close a few times. And the interesting part of all of this was, and we'll kind of jump into both sides of the ball here, it wasn't it wasn't an offensive performance by any stretch, right? And in fact, wow. there was a couple facets of the game that were relatively disappointing. And I, I don't want to be negative Nancy when you blow somebody out like that. But, you know, thinking in terms of what we put on the field, 
there there were still more that we could have done, I think. You got almost just as much production after Josh went out of the game on offense as as when he was in the game. I mean, because Bush threw for 70 yards, had a good completion percentage. Coleman Fox had a lot of yards again. It's the third game of the year where he was our leading rusher. Yeah, so I'll go back to Josh. Uh, so Josh went 10 for 20, 132 yards in the air, three TDs remained uh, in another game perfect without an interception, which, um, you know, that is, it speaks volumes to to what Fuente is trying to put on the field is not have people cough up and, and make mistakes like that. He had a nice uh, couple of pull downs, I think, at opportune times to keep drives going where, you know, he, he is a little bit delayed on his throws, but that's also a function of what he's being told to do, which is don't throw interceptions and, and, and don't screw up. But he had a couple nice times where I think he saw the field pretty well, pulled down and, and kept a drive alive that may have uh, died off otherwise. However, you know, there was room for improvement, especially against this UNC defense. It was his lowest completion percentage of the year, um, despite the fact that it was his third shortest pass attempt distance. So shorter passes, but yet his lowest completion percentage of the year. Uh, his completion percentage beyond the line of scrimmage was the lowest of the season. First down completion percentage was the lowest um, of the season. You know, there it, it wasn't the prettiest at times, um, but I think that he once again did what he needed to, to, you know, seal the game in and got a lot of help from the defense. AJ Bush came in. I thought he ran the offense. I thought Josh Jackson could have been out after the first half. He came in for a little bit in the third quarter, but AJ Bush came in and I thought five for seven, 70 yards and a nice TD pass was great. And then Cam Phillips, you have five receptions and he is now the career receptions leader at Virginia Tech. So the offense did what they needed to, even though it wasn't pretty all the time. Yeah, there were a couple of nice things that Cam breaking the record was nice, and you would like to see him go for a little bit more yards. I think health is still an issue with Cam's foot a little bit. He doesn't look like himself. He was kind of looking at the foot and kind of tapping it on the ground at one point, I thought I noticed. Uh, I don't know, but he doesn't look exactly the same as he did in the first few weeks. He's out there, which is a help period. I said that before I thought, you know, the coverage that he'll draw will help us out anyway, but it wasn't a good day for the offense. And you went through it already. I think Josh had three incompletions in a row. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but he hasn't done that hardly at all this year. That was early on in the game. He came back as he always does better as the game went on, but and that was in one That's drive. That's how good he's been. That, when you yeah, see that wasn't three carrying over either on drives. That was one drive. I think it was first down, second down, and third down. We yeah, threw. it was right in a row. Yep. Yeah. That has not happened, I don't think, all season. He's still young, and he's been very good, but he did not have a great game. Uh, he kind of hasn't been as sharp since Clemson. Boston College wasn't super sharp, though he did throw for a lot of yards. Clearly, Clemson, the problems they give you on on defense, uh, it's gonna it's gonna happen. But you know, this is some a little bit of growing pains maybe for Josh. He still makes some really pretty on point throws. Like for instance, the first throw of the game against UNC to Savoy. Savoy's only catch of the game, which is bizarre because yeah. it looked like those guys were completely in sync right off the get go, and then he didn't end up going back to him. But 
you didn't need the offense in this game. And that's really what we should start talking about is that the defense just had a stellar day. They only gave up 172 yards, 2.7 yards per play, and just 54 rushing yards. The UNC QBs combined to go 8 of 22 with two interceptions. And now Virginia Tech is the number one defense in opponent completion percentage at 45.3. Number one in the nation against the pass, essentially. Now, when people completed on us, sometimes it goes for a long way. UNC did have that 43-yard touchdown. But we are preventing the ball from getting to receivers better than anyone in the country. And that's something that should be praised. Yeah, and I know you said when they go long, but I always think of these things sometimes in the reverse. And when you break down the numbers, so they had 118 yards passing, 54 yards rushing. That alone is phenomenal numbers. But when you take into account that 43 of those yards came on the long TD pass, then you had another... I guess, 20-yard pass and an 18-yard pass. One was Daz Newsome, one was Michael Carter. And then you had on the rushing side, one of the 54 yards was 27 from Brandon Harris. They basically had four productive plays in the yeah. entire game. And that the majority was really of their it. plays went for zero yards, essentially. Like zero <laughs> yeah. to five yards. Like, it's it pretty was amazing. dominating. It, like, to watch it, it was like watching the 2006 uh, 2007 defenses where the opponent just cannot do a damn thing. And it was awesome. Six sacks, a great pass rushing game for our defense, 13 tackles for loss. I cannot say enough about Ricky Walker and Tim Settle. They both had fantastic games, both statistically and when they, the plays where they weren't getting a stat, they were also just doing so much with the pressure inside. Walker got the TD. He got his first sack of the season. He finished with a sack and a half. Settle three and a half tackles for loss in a sack. They just are unbelievable, man. The way that they were dominating that interior was amazing. I thought Moto had a great game. I think he played pretty well in run defense. He had the interception. Obviously, he always does, but led the team in tackles. And then Reggie Floyd with the the huge interception. Um, was great as well. You couldn't say enough about the defense. You could maybe say equally as much about the special teams as well. So that, that yeah, and those those two components of what um, you know Virginia Tech has been a hallmark continued in this game, and it was fantastic. Yeah, not only did Stroman run back the punt, but we blocked a punt. And the funny thing about that block too is it was Dion Newsom. He blocked it with like his shin. Like he was so far in on the kick, kicker that he punted it and it hit Newsom in the leg. It was, it was ridiculous. He was past the punter. Yeah. He was just vertical. And then you had Oscar Bradburn continues to be pinning people back. And he's been fantastic. I know he wore 25 this week, which was awesome, but he's doing well. There's a little bit of concern still, although I wouldn't have expected him necessarily to be a shoe-in for making that first field goal. Joey Sly still is, is struggling a little bit, yep. I guess is yep. the best way to put it. I I don't like to get into kicking woes too much because I think it's more of a jinx than anything else, but I would have expected him probably to make that. But other than that, I think the defense and the special teams were amazing and 
quite frankly, the stats on the offensive side of the ball would have been even better. <laughs> quite right. If if the defense and special teams hadn't done so much, where the ball just kept going back to uh, UNC. Stroman's really becoming a weapon on the punt returns. Two hundred yards uh, in return yards over the last three games. It's actually more than that. Uh, he got us close for that one touchdown versus Clemson. I think he took one back on UD, and he obviously took one back in this game. And he just looks more fluid every time with the punt returns. He's obviously among the tops in the country. He also has the most returns in the country. Because our defense forces so many punts, he's had to return so many punts. And his average is still high, despite having more than a lot of guys who just happen to run one back. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to look into the stat, but I think he's getting pretty close to the I think it's the punt return record for I Virginia would have Tech. To imagine that he is. I think he's creeping up um on on Hall. I think it's is it D'Angelo Hall that holds it or is that That's right? a good guess. I yeah. don't know off the top. I of think my head. that's right, but I think it, he's creeping up on that record. So I'd love to see him get it because he's a weapon absolutely. Some just funny stuff from that game. Mook throwing Carter's shoe. Did you see that clip? That clip was He tackled him, and then he threw the shoe out of bounds. It was so funny. And Carter's reaction is great because he just like, he looks like all around and can't find it. It was so funny. Yeah. Such a dick move by Mook. It was. Uh, I thought the other great win was the first time that there were a couple great moments in there. And the other was uh, seeing Fuente's face after they scored the their touchdown. He was so pissed, right? You're yeah. absolutely routing this team in every way, shape, and form, and he gets that pissed off because they score one touchdown. <laughs> yeah, well, they had Adonis in, they had Terrell in, they had Faison in. I, I was watching that play when I was rewatching the game, and I'm like, this is our starting secondary, and they just broke it to the house. So he might have had a little bit of reason to be pissed on that one. I thought it was funny, too, the dancing by Tim Settle, he, like his penguin dance that he does. And Ricky <laughs> even did a dance too at one point after he got his uh, his half sack later because Mahota dragged the guy down and Ricky kind of like fell on top of him. And then he started dancing afterwards. And it was it's funny to watch those big boys dance. Overall, I mean, I you couldn't ask for more. And to bring it all full circle, my only critiques of the offense are because I think this team can be really good and really special and i think that they're the offense is even more talented than what they showed on saturday so it's not really a critique and oh i wish we could have done better it's more i can't wait to see what this team is capable of when they're running on all cylinders type critiques yeah it was kind of strange just because the offense didn't get going really high octane at any point in the game but when it's not necessary to do so and you're just going to put yourself in jeopardy by taking a lot of chances to turn the ball over, you know, it kind of just takes all the air out of any potential for big offensive numbers and plays because we just didn't need it. Yeah. And that might be the best thing we have going for Duke because Fuente said he wasn't happy with the offense. And so it gives him something to be like, hey, we needed to get on our crap because. You guys didn't look good last week. We got a tough opponent and a decent defense coming in this week in Duke. And it 
despite the huge win, it gives him something to point to. It's like, you didn't even play that good. So let's turn so it So you're saying notch. it's rat poison. The rat poison uh, line. <laughs> the from... fifty-nine to seven could be could be rat poison for uh, for some of our defensive players, maybe <laughs> not the offense. Uh, I love it. All right, let's do a beer break before we get into Duke. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having a beer that I didn't know was actually ever canned. I had had it on draft, and that's the on the wings of Armageddon Imperial IPA. It's from DC Brow. It is a terrific Imperial IPA that should not be canned. It's like 9.2% alcohol by volume. And I have, I've had this on draft and it is amazing when it has a chance to kind of open up and get some air into it. But in a condensed can format, it doesn't get any oxygen in there and it is super strong. So if you're not, I'm a, I'm a hoppy kind of guy you know that pretty well but if you're not you know a true hop head you're not going to like this beer it's very potent from a you know hoppiness standpoint how strong it is and it is really good on draft though if you find it anywhere i'd certainly recommend it in that uh in that format how about you i'm having a lagunitas pills it's their czech style pilsner we were kind of joking about Pilsners last week. You're not the biggest fan in the world. I enjoy a, a good quality Pilsner, and this one's very crisp. It's truly a Czech-style Pilsner. It's very clear, golden, and goes down extremely smooth. And Lagunitas, they put out a pretty good product. I, I like their little something and their IPAs and all kinds of stuff. So this is good. It's a good little break after the bourbon, and then I'm going to hit you with a uh, – with a double IPA a little bit later, but uh, the Lagunitas Pills, it's very good. Let's talk about Duke. Saturday, 7.20 p.m. start. Everyone's excited about that. <laughs> I know you are. I mean, night games are fun, but it's just kind of weird it's to bizarre. play a 4-4 a four four Duke team at 7.20 at night um, on ACC Network. Yeah, if it was on national TV, I could get behind it a little bit more. Yeah, they had they had to fit us into a slot. It was obvious that they, that ended up being where they decided to put us. But I I know this kind of messed up a lot of people's schedules. So luckily for me, I don't have much going on this weekend, so I'll be all good. But other people were not too excited because everybody thought this would be a nooner. It'll be fun for the fans. I mean, the night games are always fun for the students and the fans. I mean, I think three thirty is the perfect time when you're not playing like a really high level opponent but this will be fun duke is four and four as i said one in four in the acc 79th in the s p plus and 53rd in sagarin they're having about the season they expected they won their first four games somewhat unexpectedly and now have dropped four in a row they lost to Pitt just last week in a game where I thought Pitt was going to catch someone and they caught Duke. Uh, but they also lost to UVA. So now it's the question, are they going to be the second worst team in the conference? I, I think UNC is clearly the worst, especially in the Coastal and probably in the conference. But Duke is now with those two losses to Pitt and UVA, they're going to be right down there because BC looks like a decent team. Wake looks like a decent team. And Syracuse has obviously had some great games this year. So 
this could very well be the second worst team in the ACC. They've had three relatively close games in a row, but they haven't really looked that way, I don't think, on the field. And their quarterback is not really getting any better on a week-to-week basis, it doesn't seem. Yeah, Daniel Jones has been the mystery this year because he had such a fantastic freshman year. And the numbers weren't overwhelmingly good. He was throwing a lot of short passes. But he had a long streak of not throwing an interception. And he was getting better week after week. He's a big guy. He can run as well as throw. So you're thinking, this kid's going to come in his true sophomore year and start to really light it up. And it has not been the case. His completion percentage is 54.5%. It was 63 last year. And if you're going by the last handful of games, it's a lot worse than that 54.5%. 5.8 yards per attempt. That's really bad. Eight touchdowns, six picks. And like I said, he can run on you, but that hasn't been as good either this year because he's getting sacked so much. The 20, offensive line is not sacks. helping him out at all. Yeah, yeah, 20 sacks. So basically, I love when they do sack rate, so 6.5%. So you're basically, you know, I know it's a little bit exaggeration, but what, one out of every 13 times that you get up there, you're getting sacked or something along those lines? That can't be positive on your mentality and your passing. You know what it reminds me a lot of? Logan Thomas... 2011, his first year starting, comes in, gets all of our hopes up that this guy is going to be one of the best ever at quarterback for Virginia Tech, maybe the best ever. And then his sophomore year comes, it doesn't, it's not getting on track. His completion percentage is down, his rating is down, he's getting sacked a lot, and it kept going and going and going. And Logan Thomas never was as good as his first year as a starter. Yeah. And that could be what Daniel Jones is going through right now. Yeah, and it's always tough looking at the wide receiving core and figuring out, you know, is it the quarterback? Is it, you know, the wide receivers? Is it the offensive line? I don't think there's a lot of depth on this wide in this wide receiving core at all. Um, I think TJ is pretty good. Uh, who's the junior coming back? He's 75 targets, and I think he is probably, and he's still only 5'10", 165 pounds, so he's not really a big guy. Then yeah, you have he's a John- possession guy. Yeah, exactly. And then Jonathan Lloyd following him up on targets, and after that, it just kind of falls off. You know, Sean Wilson's their running back, is their third, you know, <laughs> leading or targeted receiver, and uh, he's their running back. So, But I do think a lot comes back to this offensive line, and I don't think... And, you know, Jones, maybe we hyped him up a little bit too much after his freshman season because, you know, we did the Logan Thomas type thing where we thought he you can only improve your first year uh, you know, to your second year. Some guys regress. It actually yeah. happens now and again. I mean, Brad Kaya kind of regressed. Everyone thought he was going to be number one overall draft pick, and he's barely latching onto a team like Gerard Evans right now. Yep. Sean Wilson is the most dangerous player on this team at the moment. I, I still think Daniel Jones, with the way he can run and any given game, he could turn on that talent like Logan used to be able to. But Sean Wilson is consistently dangerous, not the biggest back, 
but quick and shifty. 5.5 yards per carry, five touchdowns rushing, another touchdown receiving. And like you said, he re- catches a lot of balls. He's 23 receptions on the year. Britton Brown, the redshirt freshman, he's been a breath of fresh air at running back as well. They're running the ball pretty well. When you throw in Jones and these two guys, they run the ball well. That's their strength. But the passing game and the targets aren't there. They do have the two tight ends, Helm and Coppenhaver. And Coppenhaver is pulling at Chris Cunningham because he has 10 catches and three have gone for touchdowns. So he's absolutely someone they use in the red zone. Uh, he's a big 30% body. touchdown rate. We need that, <laughs> we need that stat out there. <laughs> but the offensive line, like you said, it's just it's not good. They are 102nd in sacks allowed and 102nd in TFL allowed. Exactly the same. Uh, they're giving up 6.6 tackles for loss a game. That is quite a few. And with the way we're bringing guys down in the backfield and the way we stuff the run, their offense plays very well into our strengths on defense. Yeah, they're going to have to throw the ball, and I'm not sure that they can if they want any shot or let's let's leave the caveat out there or our defensive line has to play really, really bad. Has to have a guess, really guess bad game. Guess what their um, passing S and P plus rank is? Out of uh, all whatever one thirty, yeah. Out of one thirty these days, one twenty two. <laughs> okay, you knew that. You had to have known that because that's no. exactly what it is. <laughs> you're you're joking, right? No, it's one hundred and twenty second <laughs> passing S and P. I, you know what the interesting part is, is I have S and P up right now, but I honest to God did not look at that. I just came up with maybe the it leaked into your subconscious, but Evidently. yeah, good guess. Hundred and twenty second, <laughs> solid rushing offense, but not very good efficient passing offense. Jones is going to have to make things go with his legs to beat us. The average receiving options at best, good running backs, but no amazing talent and no depth. Yeah, but. There, I mean, there's a couple bright spots on this defense side for them. No, there are, there are. The defense, I, I think, that's is, a, actually, is a good group. Yeah, and uh, there's one guy that I'm particularly uh, frightened is their linebacker, Joe Giles Harris, hyphenated Giles Harris, and sophomore, fifty three and a half tackles, thirteen and a half tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks, nineteen run stuffs. Uh, an interception, three pass breakups, and a forced fumble. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, those him and – did you say Humphreys yet? No, I haven't got there. Those two guys are awesome. Harris has put up crazy numbers, especially with the tackles for loss. But Humphreys is no slouch, man. Eight tackles for loss for him, two and a half sacks, an interception, three pass breakups. Their linebackers, they play a four-two-five. So these two guys are in there and making – Tons of plays. If they were to lose one of these two guys to injury, I don't know what this defense would look like. It'd be far worse. But right now, they're both healthy. They're both playing really well. They both were good last year, and they're the heart and soul is D. Their defensive line has been a lot better than I expected. Their tackle for loss numbers, they're number one in the country in tackles for loss in total. They're seventh in terms of a per-game basis but they played eight games. So they actually have the most tackles for loss in the country. Uh, so I, part of it is those good linebackers, but Mike Ramsey at defensive tackle, Trey Hornbuckle, he has eight and a half tackles for loss at defensive end. It's a good line. It's a really good line. And 
a good front six, I guess, in in this sense. Yeah, I mean, all their defensive stats are, if you're talking about Havoc rate, if you're talking about any of those things that some people like to go into, they're almost top 25 in every single statistical category, whether it's DB, DL, linebacker, across the board, which is pretty impressive and a little unexpected because I I think we knew uh, Humphreys uh, people know pretty well given he's a junior Uh, Harris is a little bit more kind of new on the scene given he's a sophomore but I don't think anybody expected their linebacking core to be as good and in a 4-2-5 obviously they have to be really good and losing either one of those people at any point in the season is going to be detrimental to them but I don't know if anybody expected them to be um, playing this well, quite frankly. I thought this defense would be bad. Before the season started, I didn't think they'd be good at all. They had to replace a ton um, up front and in the back in terms of their DBs. And the DBs might be the most pleasant surprise of all of them because they lost, what was it? Breon Borders and uh, mm-hmm. the guy who used to return all the kicks. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, there was like four defensive backs. Le- Edwards. Edwards, yeah. the, the kick returner. That's right. But the the new guys back there are playing awesome. Like, And they play with three safeties, so they rely a lot on those guys to make tackles. Alonzo Saxton, we knew him. He's second in tackles on the team. But Jeremy McDuffie, Jordan Hayes, and then cornerbacks – Brian Fields and Mark Gilbert. All of these guys have four or three interceptions, I think. It's unbelievable the number of, of interceptions and tackles for loss this defensive back group is putting up. It's it's preposterous. And again, might be some of the design of the system, but a lot of these guys are putting up like linebacker numbers in terms of tackles, but also have a ton of pass breakups. Like very versatile defensive back core in, in from what I could tell. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think if you bring it full circle, it's also the reason that they, if, if you look at statistically their, how they've played offense versus defense, which is another thing that I like that Connolly does is their stats are pretty decent in almost every game, except for their Miami game, which they obviously took that week off losing 31, six, but other than that, they, they've they had, you know, above kind of 60% or right around 60% in every single game on the defensive side of the ball. You can't say the same for the offense, especially not in the last four. And I think that defense has really been what's kind of kept them in and made it look closer than it may have been otherwise in these last four games with Pittsburgh, FSU, Virginia, and Miami and that's where yeah, it's we're like last to... week when we were talking about how UNC's offense has done their defense no favors. That the same thing's happening with this team because this defense, forty six in yards per play. You said how good they were in havoc rate. They've got the seventh most interceptions per game in the country. I mean, they have twelve interceptions, four of which have gone back for touchdowns. That's, That's crazy. outrageous. Another like statistic. How, how they lost four games in a row with this defense. <laughs> it's because the offense is terrible. Another statistic. Uh, what is it? Interception touchdown rate? 30, 30. <laughs> we, yeah, need to, right? we need to bring that one out. I like it. 
Duke is probably number one in the country in that. <laughs> Jeez. Four TDs off 12 INTs. Yeah. They've been a nice surprise. They're recruiting. We know Duke recruiting has made a lot of strides in the last five years, and it's paid off on the defensive side of the football. There's there's yep. no doubt about that. Yeah. The offensive side isn't isn't that great, but I think uh, I think where it comes to the real question mark, and we've joked around about this on Twitter and otherwise, is why people might be scared of this game and it comes down to the head coach and he does not let people take a week off and especially on a week that you think that they might take off they just come out and you know bulldoze somebody that you're you know scratching your head trying to figure out what just happened yeah we briefly mentioned how close duke has played us the last four to five years and they've gotten us twice at home one in overtime and and one uh, very big win for Duke. I think that was the 2013 season mm-hmm. uh, where that white guy got the first down on a fourth down play for Duke. I can't think of his name, but it was crushing. Uh, and it was a really big recruiting weekend for Tag and Blacksburg, and it just blew up right in our face. <laughs> Cutcliffe, Will, you cannot discount him, no matter how poorly either side of the ball is playing. And... The question is, is this a trap game? That was a big thing uh, we were talking about on Twitter earlier. No, like, here we go. We've got a big game against Miami next week. And, you know, an opponent who on paper doesn't look very good. Classic trap game setup. But I'm not sure that with how well Duke has played us that you can consider it a trap game. Like, we know that they compete. And we know this defense is pretty solid. You just got to go out there and be focused and play. I, I don't know if it qualifies as a trap game. Old old Duke, yes. I don't think with this Duke team you can call it a trap. Yeah. Cutcliffe is such an amazing coach, honestly. And I'm not joking. I'm being serious. He's an amazing coach. By all accounts, I listen to a lot of podcasts. He's one of the most likable figures out there from a coaching standpoint. Uh, Whether it's with regard to his team or opponents, whatever the case may be, most people genuinely like him and think he is exceptional at what he does, especially being able to let's, let's just think about what we're talking about. This is Duke in football, right? Yep. 10 years ago, this would be a joke conversation. If we were actually thinking through it, he's done remarkable things at that program. Is this a trap game? It shouldn't be going up against Cutcliffe. I don't think it should ever be a trap game because he deserves the full attention. I I think it's more of a question, an introspective question for Virginia Tech and the fan base for us, which is, are we past that time frame? Because we weren't last year. You know, I would consider the Syracuse game pretty much a trap game, and we fell victim to it. And I think our coaching staff recognized that we did, and everybody's susceptible to it. It happens. Uh, the the question is is when do you get past the trap game situation, which is you're taking every opponent seriously, you have that much mental focus. You know, Nick Saban is the king of doing it. Even when they have the easiest game coming up the next week, he comes up with narratives just to you know piss off his players or the media or whatever, just to get people focused on it actually being a meaningful game. 
I think it's more a question of us than it is a question about Duke. I think you're right. Uh, that's a that's a good way to put it. And I'll say this. This season, there has been no evidence that we let lesser teams hang around. You can point to Syracuse and GT last year, and they did happen, and they're games we should have won. If you look at just the teams on paper, like we were the better team, and we lost. One of them was at home. But this season, <laughs> every single team except for West Virginia and Clemson, we have won easily and kind of put the games away. BC, people were all bent out of shape. They just have ripped off two wins in a row, and we won by two touchdowns. So that team might not even be that bad. We won on the road at night, and people were all like upset about that. I so, was upset about that, but exactly. I, cu- I couldn't imagine my boy Adazio doing what he's done. <laughs> oh, man, the last two weeks have been crazy for them, but... This year, there's been no evidence that we're going to let lesser teams hang around. We'll see if it happens in this one. Whether Duke classifies as a lesser team, I think they do this year because they lost to Pitt, who we thought was pretty bad. They lost to UVA, who's having a nice season, but isn't great. And they needed a pick six and a late touchdown to beat a very bad UNC team. So they're they're not a good team this year, and we should take care of our business. And we need to take care of our business because we have a lot of things to look forward to over the next four weeks mm-hmm. in terms of games. And they, we have no business of letting this scuttle what could be a fun couple of weeks with Miami and Georgia Tech. And it will be very stressful, but should be a blast and everything that college football is about if we go up to those teams with the record that we should have. All right, do you want to do a quick beer break before we do keys to the game? Yeah, what are you drinking? I'm having the Victory Dirt Wolf Double IPA. Victory makes really good IPAs. I don't love all of the beers they make. It's out of Downingtown, Pennsylvania, not too far from me. It's where my sister lives. But their IPAs are on point. Their Vital is really good. Their Hop Devil is really good. And this Dirt Wolf Double is perfect. I really like it. I don't know if you've had this one before or not, but I I on, really like it. On the podcast, no no less. Was that two years ago? I think Three so. Three years ago, maybe? Yeah. I was thinking maybe we had it when we played NC State, but I couldn't remember. I just we had lo- a couple wolf-themed beers. We used to do a lot more themes when we were recording together. Yeah, well, we've drank so many beers. By the way, our second-to-last episode was our 200... Our 200th beer that we've had on the podcast. So to put that in perspective, it gets a little hard to try uh, different beers that you also have access to because your local liquor liquor store only has so many of them. I'm having the Founders. uh, I know we haven't had this one, or I think we haven't had this one. The Backwoods Bastard. It is a aged in oak bourbon barrel. Basically, a, a, a nice, I think it's a quality kind of stoutish beer, but it's got a lot of bourbon in it, which usually kind of, for me, makes it good. They say, especially lovely in bourbon barrels, smoke, sweet, and caramel. And for me, that's everything I need to know. So I know I'm an IPA guy, but when I'm going dark beer, I usually go with something that has a little bit of bourbon in there. And that's what this is. It's 
absolutely delicious. I think it's a limited time release, so go to your stores and pick it up now. It's the Founders Backwoods Bastard. You like something that makes you just like reel back a little bit. When you when you go for your stouts, you like like a little bit of ass in it. Like it's just like, ooh, that's rough. I like yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a dark beer should have a little bit of uh, a little a little oomph. Give, yeah, oomph yeah, yeah. All right. So my keys to the game, they're going to have a hard time rushing the ball. I think that's going to be absolutely key for our guys to limit their run game. If you do that, and with Tremaine and Mook uh, hemming in what Jones can do with his legs, they're not going to have much of an offense in this game. On the other side, Josh Jackson and the O-line, this is a test because that D-line and linebackers can get after you. I think we need peoples in this game. You said it about last game. Apparently he was healthy enough to play, but we didn't need him, so we didn't use him. This is absolutely a game where we need to go hard up the gut and just win battles, like one-on-one battles against linebackers, against defensive linemen, and get yardage right up the middle. McMillan did it a little bit last week, and he's been doing it week in, week out, just a little bit here and there. Him and Peoples running inside, I think that could be a great way to get us going in this game. And Cam and Savoy need to have good games because we're going to need some big plays from our receivers in this game to really... Take some of the stress off of Josh. They need to get open, and he needs to you know, hit his first read in this game a little bit more often than we've been seeing. Yeah, I was extremely critical during the broadcast that um, they kept bringing up the run game, even though we were up by 40 points. But yeah, it's, Tuberville kept mentioning it, right? <laughs> yeah, evidently he just wanted to come back at us about the run game every single time, which I get it. It, it does make sense, and it was not the most impressive showing that we've had. I think in this game, it becomes more important because we need to give Josh a little bit of breathing room. If that makes sense, you know, got to let him get comfortable in the pocket. I think he's getting less comfortable. If we're, we're, we're putting more pressure on him to make passes. We're putting more pressure on, and I think we're seeing it in the number of screen passes that we're doing on passes the passes behind the line of scrimmage are seemingly go our short passes are going through the roof by game by game and that's because i run all those stats i'm watching that it doesn't feel like a comfortable spot that we are putting him into when we reach an opponent that is going to be difficult so i think we need to find a way to get in there and i think people's is probably to your point the best way to do that he we need a bruising back and as much and as someone who can block too yeah. when it is a passing play and he's a, a noted great blocker. So yeah. it's a double duty right there with him. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And those, the other guys that we have running the ball are great, but I don't think they are as, you know, bruising, scary, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think they block as well. So it would be good to get him into the game if possible. The Duke Rushdie has also been struggling just the last two games. And we talked about how many tackles for loss they've had and sacks they've had. But their Rushdie against Pitt and FSU, it wasn't good. They went for over 550 yards combined, almost six yards a carry. And Darren Hall for Pitt had over 250 yards last week and three touchdowns. So 
it's the stage is set for someone in our running back core to have a big game, whether that's people or McMillan's McMillan. I want to see them, you know, (laughs) run right up the middle, right at this defense, because beating them around the edge is not going to be that easy with those safeties and linebackers. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And I think that's really the key to this game is if we can establish that, then I'll feel, I'll feel excellent about this entire offense. And I think it'll open up things in the past game as well. Our defense has only given up eight points per game at home. It's actually less than that. I don't know if Duke is going to be able to score more than 10 points. They only scored 10 on FSU. They only scored, what was it? So Pitt, they had 17 in a loss. They had 10 against FSU and 21 against Virginia and six against Miami. If they come out with more than two touchdowns, I will be blown away. I don't even see how that's actually possible, but you know things could open up. They could have um, you know a high flying pass that gets behind our secondary that we you know blow coverage on. But other than that, I really don't see that being the case. In fact, I am looking forward to seeing Settle and Ricky and the crew just buckle down and really go to town. Yeah, man. So that leads us right into our picks. Let's pick the spread. Number 13, Virginia Tech is a 15.5 point favorite over the visiting Duke Blue Devils. Do you want me to go first? Well, you are destroying everybody in the picks this year, so I'm going to take your lead on most of these. How's that? I'm going to take Duke. I, um, I know that sounds kind of silly on what I've been saying this entire podcast but i think we'll win by two tds i just don't know if we'll get that 17 points or that 21 points to cover the spread i think it will be a solid if not dominating victory it's just that it could be a dominating victory in the same way bc was like they never had a chance but we still only won by 13 that's kind of how i think this is going to play out just because of Duke's defense. And I want to see, it's hard for me to take that many points against this type of defense with the way Josh has been playing. I know he hasn't been playing bad, but well, it, it, without it hasn't a fully even been healthy close Cam. To ba- it has not even been close to bad. So we I know. It, it's just that without a fully healthy Cam, there's not that just little bit of extra that I think where we'll just, any play could be a touchdown. I don't think that's the case right now. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm taking Virginia Tech to cover uh, 15 and a half. I I like the confidence. Yeah. And maybe this is just a swing factor. I think you and I are just opposite on week to week to basis, but I I don't know. I feel really good about what we've been able to do on offense, despite, uh, I guess some of the challenges that we've faced. We haven't had, arguably our best running back in people's on the field. And we still managed to win. We arguably haven't had our best wide receiver on the field. We've managed to win. And it's not that we've had that many injuries, but I feel like we will be able to pull it out. And at home, I think we're going to end up getting this one by, I don't know, three touchdowns. Okay. I, I could definitely see it going that way. No doubt about it. It wasn't easy for me to take Duke when I when I look at how bad their offense is and what our defense has been doing, but 
Um, I just, it's just a gut feeling, I yeah. suppose. We're going to get through these next uh, few games quick. we got a couple top 25 matchups and the rest of the ACC, so let's let's run through these quick. FSU at BC, Friday night, 8 p.m., and FSU is favored by only three points. What do you got, Robbie? I think I have to go FSU because I have for every single game, even though it's against Adazio, which is unbelievable. So FSU. I'm going to take BC because of what they've been doing the last two weeks. Next game, Miami at UNC. Miami's number eight now, and they are 20-point favorites against UNC in Chapel Hill. Miami. I'm taking Miami as well. I think that's an easy pick. Next game, Louisville at Wake. Louisville is two-and-a-half-point favorites visiting Winston-Salem. Wheels have come off. I'm going Wake. I'm going to take Louisville, and this is the first time I think I've picked against Wake the entire uh, podcast, the last two seasons at least. Wake just played Georgia Tech. I'm going body blow, so I'm taking Louisville. Next game, UVA at Pitt. This is uh, not the best matchup in the world. The, ble- is the Bleach game. favorites. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I'm taking UVA. I'm, I'm going to take Pitt. I just feel like Pitt might be turning a corner and UVA might be turning the opposite corner, but we'll see. Next game, NC State at Notre Dame. This is going to be a good game, hopefully better than Notre Dame-USC was. Notre Dame is 7.5-point favorites. They're number 9. NC State is number 14. And this is big for the ACC, I think. This this could go a long way to... Uh, giving Cole Cubitt some credit if he, yeah. if he could uh, get NC State this victory. He picked them to go in the playoff at the beginning of the year. Well, I think I will uh, slow us down for one second. We can cut out sure. something else. This is important because of what's going to end up transpiring here. So NC State plays Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays Miami. Miami obviously plays Virginia Tech. This has implications on the playoff, whether it would be and I'm not trying to get my hopes up, whether it would be Virginia Tech, whether it would be uh, NC State, whether it would be Notre Dame, whether it would be Miami. Any one of those four teams that think they have a serious chance, this is a huge game. It may not look like it, but it is. It is. They're both one-loss teams. They've both been playing really well the last few weeks. And I think NC State poses more of a threat to Notre Dame than USC ever did. I thought USC was playing pretty poorly the last couple weeks and was getting by. So I'm taking NC State against the 7.5. I like that. I think Notre Dame's going to pull it out, but I think NC State will keep it close. So I'm thinking a three-point game or something along those lines. I think NC State's defensive line might be able to stifle that vaunted Notre Dame rushing attack. And their rushing so that, attack is really good. It's <laughs> so, good. Josh and Adams the defensive really line for NC State is really good. That's going to be awesome. Next game, Georgia Tech at Clemson. Number seven, Clemson is a 14.5-point favorite. This is a rivalry that sometimes Georgia Tech gets them, but I'm going to take Clemson. I'm going to take Georgia Tech, I think they'll keep this within seven, and I pray to lords above that uh, Clemson pulls it out because it's important for us. <laughs> now we're at the I, emotional swing where I care more about what it means for Virginia Tech than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice for Georgia Tech to catch a loss in the Coastal, 
but if we lose to them anyway, then it won't really matter. So you kind of just you you want Clemson to win because you want to face them again, maybe hopefully at some point. All right, now we're going outside the ACC. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Oklahoma State's number eleven. West Virginia is number twenty-two, and Oklahoma State is seven and a half point favorites on the road. Who do you got? I'm going to go with West Virginia for an upset that uh, I think is going to end up happening. West Virginia has been playing all right, but not great. And I think you know Oklahoma State had a one week off, and then they've played all right since then. But I feel like Greer is going to pull this one out. I'm taking West Virginia against the seven and a half. I don't know if they'll win, but at home, they definitely have a good chance to, and I think they'll cover those points. And it would be good for us if they could pull off that win. Next game, TCU at Iowa State. Number four, Horn Frogs against number 25. Yes, Iowa State is ranked number 25. And TCU is seven and a half, or just seven point favorites in this one. Iowa State. I like Iowa State too. <laughs> I, I, you know, TCU, I thought Kansas State might get them. They blew them out. You know, people thought Oklahoma State was going to kill TCU earlier in the year. That didn't happen. They've been defying everyone, but this Iowa State team's done the same thing. So I think Gary should be fun. Gary's going to get it this weekend. I hope so. I would, it's always fun to see the underdogs win. Iowa State already pulled off the game down in Norman. Maybe they pulled this one off too. And the last game we're going to pick is Penn State at Ohio State. Number two, Penn State going into the shoe against the number sixth ranked Buckeyes. Ohio State's getting seven points in this game. Should be three points, by the way. Three and a half points if I was picking, but... I'm with you on that, and I think that means we're both taking Penn State. Is Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, I think it, it, yes, yes. I, I I went I went Michigan last week, and I regret yeah, so that I. a lot, given how much they got blown out. But it didn't work out well. And I hate to do the like flip where now I think Penn State's that good, but I think they can keep this absolutely within uh, field goals. So I have to go that way. JT Barrett's been great. Ohio State's been great the last few weeks. They haven't played much of a tough schedule, and I feel like we've seen that before. And when they do finally face someone good, Barrett doesn't play well. And You mean Clemson? <laughs> yeah, Clemson kind of um, put them to bed last year, I'd say. They didn't win the Big Ten. Penn State did, and they got the nod to the playoff, and they got their asses handed to them. And I think Penn State is kind of mad about that. And they're gonna bring it to the You think that pisses them off a little bit? Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be close. I I kinda think Ohio State's still gonna win, even though all the shit I just talked on Barrett. But Penn State is is gonna make it really, really tough on them, and they very well might go into the shoe and get this win. All right, man. I think that's it. Did picks. Uh, we did plenty of analysis on Duke, I think. I, I don't want to get too caught up in the idea of this being a close game, but it is right before Miami, and that's where we lost to Syracuse last year. And I I said, we haven't given any evidence this year that we're going to play poorly against bad teams like we did last year. So 
Hopefully Fuente changes that narrative and people will stop saying, look at Syracuse, look at GT. No, let's look at UNC two years in a row, you know? I agree. Let's, let's I think- look at UCU. Let's look at all the over-the-hump games that Beamer was struggling with the last couple of years that Fuente has not struggled with. Yeah, I think the narrative is slowly changing. It's going to take a little while, but we're getting there. And it's also the reason that people aren't paying much attention to Virginia Tech. I think we could be a spot or two higher in the AP poll, quite frankly. I think we've been dominating a lot of teams. I think you look at our defense, they're, it's stellar, if I had to characterize it. And But this game's important. And let's just go out there and take care of a Duke game at home that we should absolutely take care of with at least three or four touchdowns or anything more than will give me my pick, which I picked us. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think they're going to pull it off this weekend. Even if it comes down to the wire, I still think Tech is going to be able to – the defense is just too good. I really think this is the best defense we've had Man, I mean, 2010, 2011, I don't know. 2010's defense wasn't even that good. It's a really good defense. Like, they have been dominant. And Remember our one concern, inside. it was defensive end. And even yeah. the ends are playing pretty well. They're not playing great. I'm not going to yeah. say they're world Hill better. has improved. Hill has improved a lot. That I was think. our one concern, was really the defensive ends. And they've shown up. and They have. And they've stayed healthy. Okay, guys, make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. I definitely want to thank uh, Brian Thomas again for sending the bourbon. Definitely not necessary, but the note he sent along thanking us and, and everything, it was really, really nice. So definitely appreciate the uh, the bourbon you sent up from uh, South Carolina. And the reviews, we I think we're up to 41 reviews on uh, <laughs> on Apple, which is unbelievable to have that many people take the time to review us so we appreciate that and keep them coming because we love it 2dvt at gmail.com if you have any questions uh comments about anything and the website 2dvt.com very simple you can check out all the stats robbie's been uploading all of the 200 beers we've had and stream every podcast Until next time, when we are recapping Duke and previewing a huge game against Miami, go Hokies.